electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi there, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, we are still at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Today's big interview on the Swiss hillside takes on recession worries with billionaire investor Bridgewater founder Ray Dalio. The Federal Reserve is going to sell, individuals are selling, foreigners are selling, and the U.S. government is selling because it has to fund its deficit, that it produces a squeeze because so much money was put out at such cheap rates. Making sense of market downturns with the legendary hedge funder and revisiting his years-long favorite refrain, cash is trash. Of course cash is still trash. Equities are trashier. The question is what's going to get you a real return, right? That huge interview plus Snap is snapped. Here at home on Wall Street, how one social media platform is pushing the entire NASDAQ composite lower. I happen to think it's actually more of a larger macroeconomic story. If that's the case, then the stocks are reacting appropriately. It's Tuesday, May 24th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew Ross Sorkin is reporting live from the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Andrew, obviously a lot having in, happening in Davos this morning, too. Good to see you this morning. Good to see you, and I hate to say it, but uh, the mood here, uh, the weather has uh, gotten worse, but so has the mood, and I think it's sort of reflective of what's going on in the markets. Uh, the word R starts with an R, recession on everybody's minds here. Um, I think when I got here on Sunday night, it was mentioned a couple times, and I may have heard it, I don't know, now two, three dozen times just yesterday. The R word has indeed made its way around the street, both Wall and Main, actually. Last week, markets saw a steep sell-off, with the Dow hitting its first eight-week losing streak since 1923. The S&P, you might remember, briefly dipped into bear market territory. Monday, yesterday, the market staged a bit of a rebound. But as of this morning, that rebound appears to have been short-lived. Leading the charge is the NASDAQ, which is under serious pressure after Snap issued a profit warning to investors that it won't be able to meet its own targets for revenue and earnings in the current quarter. In an SEC filing, the company said it planned to slow hiring and spending. And Snapslide led other tech companies like Meta, Alphabet, Pinterest down too, even before the market opened. Shares of tech companies reliant on ad spend like Apple, Amazon, and Netflix also fell. Here's Joe on the Snap headline. Shares are plunging, not what you would think. I mean, you'd have to say pretty neg- something pretty negative to plunge 30%, wouldn't you? It's, from already low levels, executives cited a range of issues, including rising inflation, the impact from the war in Ukraine and privacy changes at Apple, all this uh, resulted in sharply different uh, forecasts from one month ago. Uh, as a result, Snap said revenue and adjusted earnings would likely come in below projections. 
As I said, that it issued recently, uh, just a month ago. Snap shares have fallen about 80% since hitting a new high in September uh, of last year. Social stocks all falling. Adver advertisers holding back. Um, I don't, I don't, was this obvious? Should everybody have known? And what does it mean for, for Twitter? And there are still a lot of questions about whether this is Snap specific or whether this really is a broader industry issue. Um, I think there are so many questions that were unanswered last night. Meta had already things. said some things similar to it already. Uh, Arkins right? used to use Snap a lot, not so much anymore. And I think the danger with any social media network is trying to keep up and keep hip and stay relevant and make sure that you're still evolving a, a user base and you know other media companies have in the past done that by by buying more remember instagram was bought by facebook um elon musk is going to find some more spam spam bots i think there's some more but how, how much of the, the how much of the hit guys do you think was a function of of the user base in terms of what that growth looked like relative to the advertising piece I don't know. I, I, that, that's what I think is unclear with some of these issues. I think we'd like to hear more. I think you'd obviously like to hear from some of the other companies as well. Um, but this idea that these, so these stocks had sold off enough and maybe were punished too much, obviously that's in question. But is that a separate issue, advertisers and, and users? If, if, the, if the money you're spending on advertising isn't generating what you're expecting from, from the users, then, then maybe you stop advertising. It all seems like it's... No, yeah, no, but back so to me, there's the stock-specific, the economic issue of, yeah. Right, I think there's the broad economic issue, which plays straight into advertising. You can usually see it relatively immediately. Then there's the other sort of snap-specific issue, which is operationally, do you think that they're growing their users the way you'd want them to? Do you think the tools that they've created for the advertisers are working? I, I happen to think it's actually more of a larger macroeconomic story, but... If that's the case, then we'll the see. stocks are reacting appropriately. Everybody's. It, 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 you don't think that that's, that tech is quite as uh, vulnerable to inflation as consumer. But advertising and is the first like one of the first things to go if you're talking so, about a recession. So it's across Andrew, the board with inflation. Yeah, Andrew just saying that they're talking recession so much there in Davos. If that's the case, are CEOs reigning in their spending when it comes to things like online advertising? I think that's the question. Still to come on Squawk Pod, an interview with Bridgewater founder, legendary hedge funder, Ray Dalio. Recession fears, inflation, and crypto safe havens. Bitcoin has made a tremendous achievement over the last 11 years of being at it. It's a tiny percentage of my portfolio. I think the Bitcoin people get too preoccupied with it. The gold bugs get too preoccupied with it. And I think you have to look at the broader set of assets that serve that purpose. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM. 
a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod, where Andrew Ross Sorkin is sitting down with the biggest names of business and global politics at the World Economic Forum in the Swiss Alps. Joe Kernan and Becky Quick are holding down the fort here in New York. And today on the Swiss hillside in Davos, Andrew sat down with a legendary hedge funder. Joining us right now to talk about market trends in the global economy is Ray Dalio here in Davos, Switzerland. Of course, the founder and co-CIO of the world's largest hedge fund, Bridgewater Associates. Ray is also a member of the Bridgewater Board. Good morning. Morning. So we we keep asking the same question of everybody. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen to this crazy economy of ours? Well, what do you see happening here? I think like, you know, three major themes that we have to understand, right? Um, The creation of too much debt and too much money, right? Mm -hmm. And the amounts that never existed in our lifetime, but existed many times in the past in the 1930 to 45 period, number one. So we'll talk about that, I hope. Number two is the internal conflict, populism of the left and the right, and what that is doing both politically and that, of course, have economic uh, considerations. And number three is the rising of great powers to challenge the existing great power and the existing world order. Now, if you bring those things down, here we are having a monetary policy. Okay, where are we in the monetary policy? And what's the big question? So if you want me to answer that, I'll, I'll give yeah, you. So I think, right, I think that big question is, can the Fed effectively uh, reduce demand without breaking the back of the economy? Okay. And rather than just jumping to the answer, I always like to deal with the mechanics of behind right. the answer, you know? And um, I think the answer is no, but here's the reason why. An interest rate, uh, when there's a lot of debt, one man's debts are another man's financial assets. Mm-hmm. And they have to balance both of those things. And so they will not be able to raise interest rates to a high enough le- level to adequately provide a real return to investors. So if you think about the rise in rates, Mm -hmm. and we say 3% is an interest rate, or even 4% an interest rate, that is not going to be an amount of money that's adequate to compensate for the inflation rate. And we're in a paradigm shift, I think. A paradigm is, uh, you know, something happens for 10 years, an environment for 10 years, and at the end of that 10 years, People believe everything that happened in the prior 10 years, and then they get a surprise. Right. And then they start to change. And something like, for example, do I le- cash is a safe investment, or bonds are a safe investment after a 40-year bull market and those types of things. That begins to shift as they start to think, am I getting a real return? So there's going to be a supply-demand balance. Most importantly, the Federal Reserve is going to sell. Individuals are selling foreigners are selling, and the U.S. government is selling because it has to fund its deficit. So there's going to be a supply-demand problem that means that it produces a squeeze because so much money was put out at such cheap rates and so much financing was taken that it'll be difficult to achieve that balance. So I remember when you would tell us that cash is trash. Yeah. Is cash still trash? Of course cash is still trash. Cash, uh, I'm asking you, is your inter- you know how fast you're losing buying power in cash? I okay. feel that in terms of inflation every day. However, I'm also, for those who own equities out there, they're feeling it even worse. Well, it depends what, ca- it depends what cash is. Equities are trashier. 
Okay. The question is, what's going to get you a real return, right? And so we've shifted it into an environment where assets that do well, almost like in the 70s, are in those types of things. Real assets, real return assets in its various ways are the best investments. I think the world is long. Here's the dynamic I think that's a problem. Everybody's long, equities and so on. And everybody wants everything to go up. And the Federal Reserve wants everything to go up. So what they do is they give you money and credit, lots of money and credit, that helps hyping it. And when the more they hype it, the more it becomes somebody else's financial asset they're holding. Yep. And so the world is holding all these financial assets and so on. You can't have that. So you're going to have an environment, I think, of negative real returns. And so as you think about how do you diversify your portfolio or even be short those things, everything can't go up all the right. time. That system won't work that way. So if you were Jay Powell or if Jay Powell is listening to you this morning, you would tell him what? Um, I would tell him that the supply and the demand for money and credit is very important. That as you're, as you're now trying to navigate this middle role, I, um, I think that you've gone from a policy that has been way too uh, easy to a policy that will prove to be way too tight. So pay attention to the supply and the demand for money and credit because the biggest risk right. is not... You know, when inflation rises, there are two types of inflation. There is inflation when you don't have enough capacity and it presses up against demand and, and unemployment rates are low. And then there's a monetary inflation. And that has to do with how the money moves between those two things, uh, between money and, uh, you, you know, goods and services. So to pay attention, to try to achieve the middle road in that. And I think the period's going to be quite like the 70s and how you try to find that middle road. So you think road. we're in the 70s? Because, by the way, if you owned equities in the 70s, in the early 70s, by 1980, you, you were either flat or you'd lost money. That's right. It had a negative 54% real return, and other assets did well. The world is not um, dealing adequately, I think, with the part of their right. portfolio sh that should be inflation hedge assets, so right? most people and that's institutions, that's individuals. Now, most so. individuals can't, sh you know, can't or don't short the market. So, if you were something to be long in this new universe, it would be what? Inflation hedge assets in, in various forms, and and, and also um, think about, um, you know, where that assets, those assets are. Different countries, different right. places. There are elements there. One of the things that you and I have talked about a lot over the years is cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. And in the past year or two, it felt to me that you had shifted your view about them a little bit and actually got excited to think that maybe Bitcoin and others could get interesting. And I'm curious how you think about that now in terms of whether that's actually an inflation hedge or maybe it isn't. No, I... Um I think, let me clarify okay. again, because some people make stereotypical. I think that cryptocurrencies, in particular, I think blockchain's great, um, but let's call it a digital gold. Right. I think a digital gold, which would be a Bitcoin type of thing, is, a, um, is something that probably, in the interest of diversification of finding uh, an alternative to gold, has a little part, a little spot relative to gold and then relative to other assets. But I think that we're in an environment that we're now going to ask, what is the new money? Okay, so meaning fiat currencies. And when we look at currencies, it, you hold currencies in the form of a debt. Right. And so when I say cash is trash, what I mean is that all currencies, 
um, in relationship to the euro, in relationship to the yen, all of those currencies, like in the 1930s, right. will be currencies that will go down in relationships to goods and services. And we are in an environment where we're going to be looking at what are those assets, what is the type of money that you could move between countries that's a medium of exchange and a storehold of wealth. And that's, so that's what I'm talking about. And I'm saying that Bitcoin has made a tremendous achievement over the last 11 years of being able to, it's a tiny percentage of my portfolio. I think the Bitcoin people get too preoccupied with it. The gold bugs get too preoccupied with it. And I think you have to look at the broader set of assets that serve that right. purpose. Uh, you talked about different countries. Uh, you are releasing what's called the Power Global Power Index, or Global Power Score today. Tell us about what that is and maybe walk us through it a little bit. Okay. Um, Measurement. To be able to see things objectively is so important, particularly in this time. And so when I, as, as you know, uh, to understand what was going on now, I did a study of, uh, I wrote a book, yep. Changing World Order. I did a video, YouTube video, The Changing World Order. And I used measurements. Right. And they show the health, the, the power means strengths in various ways. And it showed 18 measures of countries. And there are 24 countries that are measured. So there are objective measures of different strengths of companies, uh, countries. And so by looking at those things, mm -hmm. I think we could see those things di directly. By also watching them, uh, policymakers can judge. Are they going to make better health or worse, it, worse health? They lead economic conditions. They're very good for predicting the next 10 years growth rates, which we've used. So they can almost be policy. But in other words, objective measures that one right. could look at of different strengths in comparing one country with another so the, and, one, and each measure over time. The United States is number one, China's number two. Do you think those reverse? Um, I don't know the answer to that question. I know that um, it, it, for a long time, they're going to be somewhere near comparable, and, and it depends on the things. And I think that we're living in that world of how we're going to have this conflict, conflict at, or cooperation. So, um, you know, and then also uh, one has to think about how to navigate that. Do you have a view about what's going to happen in terms of how the Russia-Ukraine uh, situation resolves or doesn't resolve itself? And do you have a take on whether, by the way, given uh, Biden's comments yesterday regarding China, and Taiwan, how that resolves itself? Yes, I think, like all wars, um, no one knows how they transpire, and it's very interesting to see how they transpire. So there are three main questions right now that exist that we're going to find the answers to over the next few months, and those answers will change, d direct us in the world. The first, does uh, Putin and Russia win or lose? I define win as being control of the eastern part of the Ur Ukraine, of not having an economic contraction in Russia that's intolerable. For example, if GDP falls by 15%, that's tolerable. If it falls by 40%, that's intolerable. So he, can't be, he will win if it's tolerable. If he remains in power and, for example, then goes on to the G20, that's uh, in, in the anticipate, and then the world orders that. So there's a win or lose question here. And I think that's a difficult question. If he doesn't get those things, I worry about escalation. So that's first question. What's going to happen with that? Second question is sanctions. Sanctions are the unique American power. It's our really today almost our unique power because 
military power is no longer as unique as it was. We're not as dominant as it was. And so as we sit back, we're going to see the power and the cost of sanctions. The power of sanctions is in does it have those effects of creating the change? And the cost of it is it's changing the nature of capital flows right. in a certain way. And the third factor to see is how the signs align. Because as we approach this world conflict, like all of the past worlds, there are allied powers and there are access powers and there are neutral powers. And so we could see, as things are transpiring, which sides everybody's in. Because the bigger conflict, essentially, in the world power thing is really much more important than China because China is, the, uh, uh, in terms of size and various right. ways of power, um, a more comparable power. We're going to see those things over the next few months. Um, if that is not resolved easily, and I don't see any way of resolving it easily, I may be wrong, there may be a good resolution, I worry about an escalation, an escalation. So that could mean sanctioning um, Ch uh, China and so on. And that's a bigger game. Imagine if we are in a situation that the situation with China is very much similar to the situation with Russia. The intertwinedness of those two economies is so much greater. 22% of our imports of manufactured goods come from China. So the interdependency. Right. So we're at the edge of those. I think in the next, probably in the next few months, we'll find the answers to those questions. And that's what's most and you, important. But you think. think that we could be sanctioning China? You think that's, that's, that would be on the table? I think that there are certain moves that would be, there uh, are in the works. Right. That, um, you, you know, you could look down to even bills that are in Congress. There are several bills of the nature of severing those economic relationships. That could be. And right. then the cost of that will be much greater than the cost. I mean, the economic cost right. would be much greater. But we're in a different world, uh, Andrew. We're in a world in which ideologies and politics drive economics, not the other way around. We used to be in a world where it was economics. If something could be produced cheaper someplace, it would be, and then they'd raise right. their living standards and so on, and profit was a motivator. We're now in a different world, and this has happened repeatedly through history. You're at the point now where ideologies and politics, both internationally and even domestically, like, you know, if we look at the, uh, the Florida situation yep. with Disney and, Dis and uh, the state of uh, Florida, similar. So that's the new world we're in. You want to handicap Pennsylvania? Your man David McCormick's there. Oh, man, a flip of the coin. I don't want to handicap Pennsylvania. Ray Dalio, thank you. Thank Appreciate you. It. It's great to see you. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow from Davos, Palantir co-founder Alex Karp on global security, China, nuclear warfare, and fighting for a new world order. The lesson for every big country is holy We've been buying all this heavy stuff, and if people are willing to fight, fight as heroes, fight to the last person, which it takes resolve and heroism, and they actually know how to operate because they have access to software and can use the data, they might actually be able to beat us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.